Hello, and welcome to another episode of EdChoice Chats. I'm Drew Catt, EdChoice's Director of State Research and Special Projects, and I'm here to talk about some of our newest research, a brief titled Pennsylvania K-12 School Choice Survey, which was a voter poll brief that we conducted, and I worked on the brief with some folks at Commonwealth Foundation, and I'm pleased to be interviewing my co-author, Colleen Franchek, who is a Senior Policy Analyst at Commonwealth. So, Colleen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Drew. I'm happy to be able to talk to you about this today. It's a very exciting report. We're excited to share it with everyone. Yeah. So before we dive into the survey results, Colleen, perhaps you could provide some local context. Let's start with what sort of school choice option families in Pennsylvania already have. So there's not a lot of options here in Pennsylvania. Our biggest total school choice option would be, in terms of private school choice, is the Educational Improvement Tax Credit Program, which is EITC is how we call it. And that was actually the first business tax credit scholarship program in the whole country. We beat Florida by a couple months. And that one, there is an income limit on it. But other than that, it's open to any family in the state and businesses give donations to scholarship organizations. And then families apply for scholarships to various private schools. And then there's a companion to that, which is the Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit Program. And that's very similar in nature. The difference is it's geared towards kids who are residentially assigned to the lowest 15% of schools based on state tests. So those are our two private school choice options. And then we also have charter schools, which are authorized at the district level, and then cyber charter schools that are authorized by the state. Well, wow, so that sounds like there are uh, quite a few options that already exist. So I'm glad that we were able to get a total of 1,270 online interviews and 137 live phone interviews. So for context, the survey did take place uh, from mid-February to mid-March, so really before most states in the United States had really started lockdowns, just to give the context behind maybe what people were saying and how they were living at that point in time. But let's start off with some of the results around ESAs. So Colleen, correct me if I'm wrong, but ESAs, or at least a bill for an ESA program, has been introduced for quite a few years now, and has also had a little bit of attention in the media over the past several years. Is that correct? Yes, we've had a few different ESA options in Pennsylvania, not, not enacted, but bills introduced. Some have been for students with special needs. Some have been for military families, and some have been for kids who are in the worst performing schools in the state. Yeah, and even with that happening, 42% of the Pennsylvanians that responded to our survey said they had never heard of ESAs. However, after we gave them kind of a basic description of a general ESA program, we saw that support was at 73%, so about three out of four voters in the state of Pennsylvania favored ESAs once they were given a definition. I suspect that would be even higher now because, like you said, that was before all the shutdowns. And now that parents are actually living the life of having their kids at home and learning at home, it's pretty likely that even more people would choose to have some of that funding directed to them at their homes rather than you know, being lost in the district. Yeah, yeah. And I think that maybe even lines up with what we saw, the most important reasons that voters said they supported ESAs, with about a third saying access to a better academic environment, then about a quarter each saying more freedom and flexibility for parents and focus on more individual attention. So 
really wonder what those percents would be if we went back and um, asked the same questions to the same people today as if that first survey hadn't happened. Yes, it's definitely a different world than the one they were answering in. Yeah. So I was glad to see kind of a trend that we've seen in a national poll for several years, and that is the folks are more likely to favor universal programs than programs that are really limited to families based on their income level or their student special needs. So we saw that 70% of voters agreed for a universal ESA approach, whereas it was almost a 50-50 split with agree-disagree for an ESA limited based on income or special needs status. And that's a really exciting finding because it shows that people just innately understand that regardless of income, regardless of where you live, parents should be able to choose the school that's right for their child or the educational setting in general that's right for their child. So we were really happy to see that finding. It's nice to know that our fellow Pennsylvanians agree with us on that. Yeah. And even being realistic that sometimes, you know, legislators do introduce more targeted and specific programs. We also asked a follow-up question to gauge views on an ESA for children of active duty military members and those children of soldiers who were killed in action. And when we gave a definition of that type of ESA program, we saw that about 85% of Pennsylvania voters across the board either strongly or somewhat favored that type of ESA program, with school parents kind of edging out the overall respondents. And that doesn't surprise me at all because Pennsylvania tends to be a very patriotic state. So I'm not surprised that residents would want to make sure that things are as smooth as possible for our military members. And interestingly, the military ESA bill that has been introduced in Pennsylvania is by a representative who is himself a veteran. So he knows what, you know, what the life is like of military families and how they're moving and the kids are changing schools all the time. And if they can have the flexibility of an ESA, it just makes that one less hardship that the family has to bear. Yeah, and one of my close friends is a military mom and just following the journey of choosing different schools and getting into the school on one base, but not another base when they move and homeschooling for half a semester here and there mid-move, it's sounds like, yeah, an ESA would be a great opportunity for those families. So let's talk about the two programs that Pennsylvania does have right now. So the first one and the older one, the Educational Improvement Tax Credit Program. So Colleen, if I am remembering right, the program just celebrated its 20th birthday? Well, it's the 19th. And unfortunately, we weren't allowed to have the celebration that we would normally have, you know, a little rally in Harrisburg because of all the coronavirus shutdowns and everything. But it is definitely something that's helped thousands of families over the years. And it's been great for them. My, my own family used it when my kids were young. We were in a small private school and we were able to do that through the EITC program. But unfortunately, there's caps on it. And because of that, it's actually thousands of kids denied every year also. Mm. Well, well, we'll get into that last part. Let's start off with, okay, so the EITC has been around for 19 years. And yet more than half of Pennsylvanians, just over half, 51%, said they had never heard of tax credit scholarships on the baseline question where we didn't really give them a definition of what a tax credit scholarship is. Did that surprise you? Yes, I was not surprised by the low ESA recognition, but I was surprised because this has been a part of the landscape for so long. I was surprised at how 
many people did not know about it. But I mean, I myself didn't know about it when we first went to the school that we went to, but the school itself told us. So maybe that's what it is, is people don't find out about it until they actually try to go to a school and realize that there is help available for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You know, it could also be thrown by one of the highest proportions saying that they never heard of tax credit scholarships where those in Generation Z, which is the youngest generation. So it's possible that they also didn't have kids yet. And even if they had um, received a scholarship themselves, they probably only knew it as the EITC or the OSTC, which is at least in the research world, how I refer to the program. So I'm not sure. How are they referred to within the state themselves? I think it varies a lot. Sometimes it's by the acronym. Sometimes it's just tax credit scholarships. But I would think for most families, it's probably just scholarships. Like they're not even thinking about where the money came from or what mechanism there was. Mm -hmm. They just know they got a scholarship. So especially for kids, maybe the parents would know, but, you know, a lot of times the kids wouldn't. Yeah, that's really interesting. So let's get into that follow up where we gave respondents the definition of the EITC program, you know. With, with a lot of the language pulled directly from the statutory language. And we see that on that baseline, a little over a third or 34% favored tax credit scholarships in general. But when we actually gave them the definition of the EITC or the Educational Improvement Tax Credit, that 71% said that they favored the program. So that's a big jump. And that was really heartening to see that between two thirds and three fourths of Pennsylvania voters are in favor of the program. Right. And I wonder if that's just because sometimes tax credits are, you know, a boogeyman for for policies and they're easy to go against. And so until people understand that this is this is the type that's benefiting individuals, especially low and middle income families, it's not something that's benefiting some big bad corporation. So maybe that's why at first they were pretty skeptical, but then once they understand it better, they're supportive. Yeah. And you know, along those lines, I actually expected there to be a little more support for Pennsylvania's other tax credit scholarship program, the Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit, which is specifically for students living in a low achieving school zone, in addition to the income limitations that exist. But we saw that it was the exact same percentage, 71%, so between two thirds and three fourths saying that they supported the Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit program. So it seems that of those that are in favor of tax credit scholarship programs. Once they get the definitions, the responses don't really change from one program to the next. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that too. And I, if I recall correctly, I'm not looking at the numbers right now. I think even among the different demographic groups, it stayed pretty constant. Yes. Yeah, there was a little little variability here and there, but nothing really outside of the margin of error. Mm-hmm. So let's get to that tax credit scholarship cap that you were mentioning earlier. So what is the cap that currently exists? So there's a couple different pieces to the tax credit scholarship programs. The EITC has the kindergarten through 12th grade tax credit scholarship part that we've been talking about. But then there's also a a pre-K scholarship component and a component that is for what they call educational improvement organizations. So taken together, those three programs, the cap is currently $135 million. And the OSTC program also has a cap. And that cap is $55 million. Now, 5 million of that is separated into a very specific program that's a little bit complicated. And 
probably not worth trying to explain on the podcast, but <laughs> it is it is broken down a little bit differently than the rest of it. So altogether, it's $190 million. Uh, $140 million of that is for tax credit scholarships, and $50 million is for those other programs that I talked about. Yeah, and when you really even drill it down further and looking at the average scholarship amounts, at the end of the day, that really does limit the number of students that can receive scholarships just based on those caps. The average scholarships are very small. For EITC, it's $1,800. And for OSTC, it's about $2,400. So when you think that some 50,000 scholarships are awarded, and that's how low the amounts are, you realize that it doesn't take a lot of help per child to get kids to have these different options. And that seems to be all the more compelling of a reason that we would want to give that option to as many kids as possible. Yeah, especially in um, you know today's current economic outlook when we see that there are possibly going to be states that are having budgetary concerns. And I've been wondering how long it will take until some of those budgetary squeezes end up at the district level. And, you know, so hypothetically, these programs could potentially be a release valve for a lot of districts. Right. For some reason, people like to point to it and say, we shouldn't have this because that's, you know, that's a cost to the state or that's a cost to the taxpayers. But really, compared to what we spend in district school, it's a enormous savings to the district, the taxpayers, you know. So, yeah, it's all the more reason to embrace these programs right now while there are you know, potential budget issues. Yeah. And I think even before the current economic environment, when things were still fairly high back in late February, we did see that overwhelmingly the majority of voters in Pennsylvania were in favor of increasing the cap on tax credit scholarships with more than two out of three saying that they would favor increasing the cap. Right. And that was encouraging because Typically, the last five years, each year, about 50,000 applications between the two programs have been denied because of lack of funds. So you've got a lot of kids who are trying to get these scholarships, and they're being denied because of the caps. At the same time, businesses are getting turned away. So you've got a lot of businesses who want to donate, but the caps are stopping them as well. So there's a mismatch on both the supply and the demand. You know, the supply, the willing suppliers of the scholarship money, they're there the willing recipients of the scholarship money, they're there. The only thing preventing it all from working out beautifully is the arbitrary caps that the government has put on the program. Yeah, and it's it's kind of striking that more than, you know, three out of five voters, regardless of where they live, are in favor, with um, really the city of Philadelphia being the most favorable, comparatively, of increasing the cap, and the lowest being... Allegheny County, which again, still has a little over 60% saying that they would favor the increase. The Philadelphia numbers definitely did not surprise me because those are the families that are in the schools that, you know, the kids need to escape from the most, whether it's safety issues or just, you know, they're the lowest performing schools. And there's a lot of families that want other options. So there's a scholarship organization in Philadelphia that regularly turns away about 8,000 applications, just that one organization, because just so many people are applying for it and they don't have, they don't have enough funds to do it for everybody. Wow. 
Wow. Well, let's turn to some of those other options, or at least one of those other options. Uh, we also asked Pennsylvanians what they thought of public charter schools. And before given a definition, the majority were in favor of charter schools, with 56% saying that they were favorable. Then when that definition of a charter school was given, really there was only a 10% shift with just under two-thirds saying that they favored charter schools. So, so Colleen, why do you think that, hypothetically, why would families potentially be less favorable of charter schools compared to tax credit scholarships or ESAs in the state? I'm not sure the reason other than you know, maybe they just prefer the option to be outside of the public system, maybe. I, I don't know. But the fact that there's a smaller jump doesn't surprise me just because you know there are charter schools all over the state and then the cyber schools are statewide. So I'm not surprised that people already have an opinion of it and they already are familiar with them. I will say that the charter schools are demonized all the time by opponents of school choice. So that could be part of the reason why they don't break through the same way that mm-hmm. the tax credit scholarships and the ESAs do. And especially the, the cyber charter schools are particularly vilified, which, you know, as we're sitting here with everybody learning remotely, it's a little bit questionable if that was the best strategy for the school districts. Maybe it would have been better for them to partner more with the cybers and then they all would have been in better shape to to move forward. If we didn't have cyber schools, I can't imagine what education would look like right now because that was you know, such an innovative model that was mm. developed and they've led the way really in terms of being able to educate your kids at home. Yeah, the times of learning by attending class VHS tape, like I did for my fourth and fifth grade years being schooled at home. Yeah, we've come a long way technologically. I am a homeschool mom myself. And I give major credit to the parents that did it before the internet. I don't know how, don't know how they did it. Yeah, we did a lot of um, experiential field trips. So going to a lot of museums and a lot of historical landmarks and learning a lot about the the world around me. It was, right. it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. Oh, and that sort of stuff sticks with you better than sometimes than what you sit in a lecture and learn. So. Yeah. So when we did ask the parents who had their children in homeschool at some point or private school, their public district school or public charter school, kind of how satisfied they were with their schools. Thankfully, more than half, regardless of school type, said that they were satisfied. And I'm wondering if the lowest satisfaction level being the public charter school, I wonder how much kind of that bled into uh, favorability of charter schools. It's kind of interesting to sit here and think about, even though knowing that a lot of the respondents and to the poll were also not parents. So that could also potentially be a factor. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that would, I don't know what would drive that sort of dissatisfaction level because you've chosen it. So it seems like right. you would, you would leave it if you weren't happy with it. Yeah. And especially when you compare that to the more than four out of five parents that said they were somewhat or very satisfied with the homeschool experience or the private school experience. Yeah. The, the difference is a little striking. So Colleen, you were talking about the comparative cost of the tax credit scholarships compared to what is actually spent in public schools. And that's really interesting because Pennsylvanians were actually kind of more aware of what was being spent in private schools than what's being spent in public schools, with only 74% of voters underestimating how much is spent in private schools, which the best number that we could find was $11,409 per student for the current school year. And the median respondent actually estimated 7,000. So about half 
said more than 7,000, half said less than 7,000. And that is striking when we compare that to you know, the actual amount that is being spent in public schools with the most recent data point being $17,582. We saw that 92% of voters underestimated that amount with the middle voters saying 5,000. So that means over half of voters are estimating less than a third of what is actually being spent. And that was astounding. The magnitude of the error shocked me. The fact that nobody had a clue didn't because they're constantly told schools are underfunded, schools are underfunded. And so you're going to, you know, if you think private schools are $7,000 each, then, you know, it makes sense that you're going to guess way less than that for public schools that you're told are underfunded. So the, the magnitude was shocking, but the fact that it, there was so much misunderstanding wasn't particularly surprising. Yeah, information can be powerful, though. So we did what in polling world is called split sample wording experiments, uh, where we basically split the number of voters in half, and we asked half of them one version of a question and the other half a different version of the question. So when we asked the question, do you believe that public school funding in Pennsylvania is at a level that is too high, too low, or about right versus, according to the most recent information available, on average, it's about 17,582. And then based on that, do you believe it's too high, too low, or about right? And without being given a number, yeah, 52% said it was too low. And the half of the sample that was given the information, only a quarter said that it was too low. And actually, two out of five voters said that that amount was too high. Yes, it definitely shows that you know, this information does need to get out there because a lot of people are misinformed about what is being spent per student in their public schools. Right. And then here in Pennsylvania, we're told not only is it underfunded as just a general amount, but, you know, we're, we're told that we're terrible according, you know, across the country, we're really bad. But in reality, we're about ninth in funding overall, ninth highest per pupil funding overall. So, you know, it's a large dollar amount, but, you know, to put it in context, it's the ninth highest dollar amount in the whole country per student. So schools are not underfunded. They may be spending money poorly, but they're not underfunded. Yeah. And the funding doesn't always flow to where parents want to go. So we also asked about, you know, in an ideal scenario, if it were your decision and you could select any type of school, what type of school would you select in order to obtain the best education for your child? And we saw kind of with that general question, an even split, almost even split with 41% saying private school and 40% saying public district school. But this was another question where we kind of split the sample and asked two different versions. So the other version we asked, we kind of inserted the phrase and financial costs and transportation were of no concern. And we kind of saw a 5% bump for the percent saying private school with 46% more than that 41%. Uh, and, and to just kind of put this all in context, 79% uh, of students in Pennsylvania, like in most states, attend public district school, a little more than one out of 10 with 12% that attend private school. So yeah, Colleen, what do you make of that disconnect between what parents want and what they're getting? That was the most shocking, I think, finding to me is you know to have 41% would choose a district given other choices, and yet 79% of kids are in the district schools. That shows that you know, if, if politicians would look at all these results and see you know, the tax credit scholarships, ESAs are enormously popular 
across the board, you know, whatever demographic you look at, whatever region you look at. And there's a big disconnect between people's schooling preferences and where they actually are. There's just, it's hard to see the downside to embracing school choice options. And one of the findings that really, really struck us was the city of Philadelphia specifically, what school would you choose? Only 12% of respondents said they would choose their local district school. Yeah, that's, that, that is, that is hard to take. And it makes me wonder, kind of, we did ask current school parents to grade their local schools and kind of across, across the state, kind of looking at that state average, really the lowest marks were given to the public district schools. But I wonder, I don't have the cross tabs right in front of me, but I wonder what the percent would be in Philadelphia giving low grades to their public district schools. Right. Yeah, I don't have that right yeah. here either, but I suspect it wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah. So, Colleen, as a homeschooling family, I don't know, what did you think about the contrast between 3% that actually homeschool their children in the state versus the 7 to 8% that said they would if really they could select for the best education for their child? Those families must be prepared for a very messy house because that's what I find with homeschooling. <laughs> but it was very encouraging to see that a lot of parents would choose to have their kids home with them and they could. And, and once again, I'm going to call out Philadelphia. 18% of parents in Philadelphia said that they would homeschool if they could. And that's amazing. And I think that you know speaks to how motivated parents are to find the option that's best for their kids. And a lot of times that is the, the individualization that is available through homeschooling. Yeah. And I, I honestly, again, wonder what those percentages would be if we asked them today. In fact, in our uh, national poll, our annual schooling in America project, we're going to try to tease that out, like to see what difference COVID-19 is making on preferences towards homeschooling. Right. Does having your kids home all day make you want that more or want that less? <laughs> yeah, I'm just sitting here. My wife's a teacher and I'm counting down the days really till the end of next week when there will only be or actually one and a half weeks after she does some PD professional development. But really having one parent working full-time while the other parent not working as hard full-time, just more or less prepping for the next school year, which don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of work that goes into that. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine having to work full-time and be in charge of schooling for my child. So my hat definitely goes off to you, Colleen. Well, my kids were older when I started working, so I definitely could not have done it with young kids. Yeah, and, and really just um, makes me that much more appreciative of all the parents out there that are, you know, doing the best that they can to get through this with their kids. And definitely am thankful to the Pennsylvanians that took the time to really answer the survey and to give us this wonderful data. Right. And, you know, in light of the COVID stuff and we don't know what's happening with schools next year, you know, and seeing how popular ESAs are, you know, it's such a perfect time for these policies. So it's great that we can share this data with lawmakers here in Pennsylvania, with opinion leaders, and let them know that even before all this, parents wanted options and people supported choices for parents. So to take, you know, rather than putting all the funding in the district schools when we don't know what's you know, what's going to be happening with them, take a portion of that funding, let it follow the children wherever the children need to be during this traumatic time. You know, it's a win-win, win-win. Yeah. 
So Colleen, any any closing thoughts from your end? And where on social media can our listeners kind of see the posts around this poll that Commonwealth will be making? So Commonwealth's Twitter is at Liberty, the number four PA. So at Liberty four PA. And mine is at Colleen Horoncheck. And that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-H-R-O-N-C-I-C-H. And so we're we're definitely sharing it on social media, Facebook. I don't actually, if you just search Commonwealth Foundation Facebook, you would get there. I don't really do Facebook. And you know, I, I think the Ed Choice is, is, has been tweeting about it some as well. So mm-hmm. at Ed Choice. And it's just, it's, it's very exciting to be able to, to share such good news throughout the state, especially at this time when we needed some good news. So, yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to work with me on this project, Colleen. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Drew. And this was a ton of work that you did and Ed Choice for, for sponsoring it and putting it all together for us. It's, it's very exciting for us to be able to, to see this and, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how the families in Pennsylvania really uh, receive the results. And yeah, hoping that um, really everything goes down the best way possible in the months forward for not just those in your state, but in every state. And the thoughts are really with all of you listening. And I highly recommend you all go read the post that's up on our blog titled Supporting Kids Mental Emotional Health While Schools Are Closed. A lot of the tips in there, I'm sure, will also be relevant this summer. So to stay updated on the latest school choice research, legislative news, and more, please subscribe to our EdChoice Chats podcast wherever you get your podcasts for more of our coverage of new school choice research, education reform, policy chats, and more. And if social media is more your thing, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the handle Colleen already dropped. That's at EdChoice. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay safe and take care. Thank you.